Oh, hallelujah. Give the Lord a praise offering. Come on, give him. Give him glory and honor. Then I, I, I want you to, to remain standing. And uh, I, I want you to, to please with me uh, recognize 25 years of faithfulness. You, you, you don't understand for real, for real, what that means and what it takes to do that. And, and so, uh, though I am honored to be given this privilege, I have come this morning to honor, right? And so, I, I want us just two things. We're going, to, we're going to give praise to God first and foremost, because he alone is worthy. But then we're going to also give gratitude. Gratitude to the faithfulness of a man and a woman who have endured. And hopefully I can capture some of what that means in today's message. But just for the next 30 seconds, let us, let us dedicate a good 20 seconds to thanking him and then a good 10 seconds of giving gratitude to our friend and pastor and father of this house. Ready? On three. One, two, three. Go. Worship the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord. We give you glory and honor, Father God. We magnify you. You alone are worthy to be praised and to be exalted. We lift you up. We praise you. We magnify you. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! 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 We love you, Lord! We love you, Lord! We love you, Lord! We love you, Lord! Thank you, Father! Thank you, Father! Father, we thank you for this man and this woman of God who have sacrificed, who have laid their lives down, Father God that you may be glorified. Thank you for their lives. Thank you, Pastor Jay. Thank you, Pastor Margie, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Gloria a Dios. Que bueno es el Señor. You may be seated. Amen, amen. I, I, I get so excited, you know, uh, probably the last two to three years, uh, I have dedicated uh, my life to to uh, pretty much ministering to to pastors and leaders, even though they often give me opportunity. Is there tissue up here? Even though there's often opportunity, they give me opportunity to minister to to the body, like like here. Thank you, sir. Uh, I, I know that part of what God has sent me to do is to really encourage and minister to, to pastors and leaders. And, and, and so I try to be as faithful and as honoring with that. Here today is my wife. Uh, we just celebrated uh, 30, 38 years of marriage. Yeah, 
I've achieved sainthood. <laughs> Amen. And with us is one of our ministers uh, and his wife, uh, David and Grace said, I give them a good hand for being here today. <laughs> 25 years. When I was thinking about 25 years, I, I thought of Paul's word to the Romans. And, and immediately I went to Romans chapter 12, and that's what I want our text to be here today. And we know that, that the essence of that text is, is Paul is, is talking to the church and he's talking to them about how to behave and personal responsibility. Well, there's, there's a reality to that when you accept the call and mandate of Jesus Christ to be a minister of the gospel to feed his sheep, to feed his lambs. There they how to behave, and there also is a personal responsibility. And that is why the word of God teaches us to give honor where honor is due. And it's not that we want to exalt man, but we need to recognize the achievement of men and women of God in our midst and give honor because honor is due. And, and the reason I believe that this portion of Scripture is so appropriate is because Pastor Jay and Pastor Margie would never have reached this point unless they had understood these principles of what it is to be a living sacrifice. And you have to understand a living sacrifice is not a sacrifice that you take its life and then you offer unto the Lord uh, the 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 smoke, if you will, of the burnt offering, a living sacrifice is something that, that, that every day takes itself emotionally, spiritually to the altar and recognizes that the mantle that one carries requires a death to self and a sacrifice and a denial of self that when it's done for a long period of time is definitely worth recognizing. So let us familiarize ourselves once again with the portion of Scripture, and then we'll open up in prayer. And the Word of God reads as follows, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the reading of this Word find fertile soil within your soul, and may it impact your spirit. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for you have given to us 
your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. Your word makes the crooked path straight. Your word illuminates the darkened path. Your word nourishes us. Your word is like a stream in a dry place. It satisfies the thirsty soul. Your word covers us. Your word elevates us. But most importantly, Father God, your word defines us. And we find our meaning and our purpose in the context of your sacred scriptures. And we place our trust in that, your word. And we thank you for the living word, which has redeemed us and has placed us here today as followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless this moment, bless this hour, and may this Father embark this man and this woman and this ministry into a next age of effective ministry that you may be glorified in everything they do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Just to give you a little bit of background on Roman chapter 12, moving from the theological to the practical, Paul gives guidelines for living as a redeemed people in a fallen world. We are to give ourselves to Christ as living sacrifices, obey the government, love our neighbors, and take special care of those who are weak in the faith. He chooses with personal remarks throughout this portion of Scripture, we learn how to live our faith each day. Now, I have a great concern, and my concern is I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being hijacked. And I need you to understand what that word hijacked means. When something is hijacked, it no longer will reach its destination. It's taken to a place that satisfies and fulfills the self-interest of the hijacker. So if the gospel of Jesus Christ is being hijacked, what that means is that hijacker or those that are hijacking it are fulfilling their own self-interest, no longer seeking to achieve and accomplish divine purpose, thus reaching divine destination. On the contrary, those who have hijacked it have hijacked it to achieve temporal goals and objectives. In other words, they're not concerned with eternity. They are concerned with the here and now and creating an existence for themselves 
that gratifies their need to feel successful. The gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe, is being replaced with a feel-good message, a popular message that presents Jesus as another option to success. Saying Christianity is a better option to life. Now, the problem is that even though that in itself is true, this message is motivated by a marketing ploy which is often devoid of a message, A, of self-discipline, B, suffering well, and C, self-denial. This popular gospel has the potential to create a Christian culture that is shallow. Scripture warns us of this by speaking of a shallow root system. In the parable of the sower, Jesus teaches this, which we should be cautious of. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, 5, and 6, a portion of what Jesus is speaking of regarding this parable is captured, and it says this, other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. What that means is that the dirt was, was very thin. Under the dirt were rocks. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant, say but. Okay, listen to this. But the plant soon withered under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Later on, Jesus goes on to explain the entire parable to the disciples. And basically, this is what he says. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and I immediately or immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. See, these hyped up conversions devoid of a proper representation of the gospel, it doesn't challenge the hearer to dig deep enough. I believe that only when we are challenged to self-examine through God's word and through the disciplines of living in a community of faith, I believe that's when we dig deeper. That's when we give the Holy Spirit full access. 
Then, once we give the Holy Spirit full access, in humility, we respond to his revelation and we are willing to expose our weakness and as a result, we grow. In other words, our willingness to expose our weakness means that we're not hiding in church, trying to perpetrate a fraud of super spirituality and all is well. Here we go deeper and we break up, say break up. We break up the ground, removing the underlying rocks, which can hinder people's root development. Without this message of honest and true self-examination, the result is that during trouble, Jesus in heat or flood, these sprouts, young Christians, won't survive. See, I grew up in a time where you often heard end-time messages. And you heard of the persecution that is to come. And that if for whatever reason... The rapture didn't take place before things got extremely challenging. There was going to have to be something about your character and your development in Christ Jesus that was going to have to sustain you. Jesus teaches us when he speaks of the last days. He talks about kingdom will rise up against kingdom and There'll be pestilences and there'll be war, the rumors of war. He says this, but through your patience, possess ye your souls. Now, if you understand that the soul is the mind, the soul is our emotions, the soul is our will. What he's saying is that things are going to get so intense and so difficult that your mind is going to want to run away with you. That your emotions are going to want to control you. And that you're going to make choices that are going to cause you to run away from steadfastness and faithfulness. He says, possess it. Can I tell you something? The only way to possess the soul is through a strong spirit. You cannot possess the soul with your flesh. Your flesh is subject to your soul, but your soul is subject to your spirit. And so only a spirit man that is being built up in God's word and in the stick to that comes from a steadfast faith will we be able to possess our soul which wants to run away with us? Those of us who come from the, from, from the edge will go, don't push me because I'm close to the edge. 
I'm trying not to lose my head. Ha, 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 ha. I just had to go back a little bit. That was my life, B.C., B.C., before Christ. But that was one of the first raps in hip-hop history that touched us who lived in the hood. I lived in Spanish Harlem because it spoke of the conditions that we lived. Broken glass everywhere. Garbage everywhere. Gunshots. Junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. It captured life in the hood. And, it's, and it, the message was, this life causes me to live stressed. Don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. I don't know if you realize, but we're living in an age that is very similar. Everybody is tensed. Everybody is stressed. Everybody's rushing to and fro. Mom has to work. Dad has to work. Babysitting costs are crazy. Some people save money, stay home, staying home rather than paying for a babysitter. Thank God for abuelitos and abuelitas who can take care of our kids. You should bless them with something every once in a while, you know. I'm just, I'm just talking as an abuelito. Are, are, you, are you tracking with me? But this hyped up Christianity doesn't address these issues because it's a motivational speak geared and motivated at trying to get you to feel better and try to get you to accept Christianity as an alternative to living without Christ. That's not in my word. Christianity should never be viewed as an alternative. It should always be viewed as the only way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he said. I want to take a moment and look at a man in the Bible that I admire tremendously. Excuse me. His name is Hosea. Go there if you can. Hosea chapter 10. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Hosea. Because in Hosea, I want to bring out these points that are essential to longevity and self-sacrificing. Hosea speaks to Israel in his days about the hardness of their hearts towards God. And he says in chapter 10, verse 11 through 12, Israel is like a trained heifer 
treading out the grain, an easy job she loves. But I will put a heavy yoke on her tender neck. I will force Judah to pull the plow and Israel to break up the hard ground. I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. So Hosea connects the message that Mark is capturing as spoken by Jesus. In other words, this dynamic of shallow ground, this dynamic of needing to go beneath the surface and take out the things in our lives that can cause a hindrance to divine purpose is something that God has had to deal with his people throughout ages. So when Jesus gives the parable of the seed, which is the word of God, and the sower, which is the Holy Spirit, and the soil, which is you and I, he's addressing to this dynamic that existed in the days of Hosea, that people's hearts have grown hard towards the things of God for whatever reason. And God is telling the people of Israel through Hosea, he says, plow it up. In other words, get in there and dig deep so that you can root out those stones, those rocks, so that when I sow a seed in you, it's able to go deep and endure the hardship that will come against it. Now let us hang out around Hosea for a minute so that we can understand. Let me explain to us the state of God's people at this time. Listen to it and see if you can relate. The people of this period enjoyed peace, plenty, and prosperity. But anarchy was brewing. And it would bring the political collapse of the nation in a few short years. Hosea describes the characteristics, social conditions of his day. Corrupt leaders, unstable family life, widespread immorality, class hatred, and poverty. <laughs> Tell me about it, Pastor. Though people continue to, to, to have a form of worship, idolatry was more and more accepted and the priests were failing to guide the people into ways of righteousness. So they were trying to keep everybody happy. In spite of the darkness of these days, Hosea holds out hope to inspire his people to turn back to God. So God is going to use Hosea as a living sacrifice so that 
through Hosea's life, a picture could be painted for the people of God and they could self-examine themselves and hopefully repent and come back to God. So the first thing that God does is he gives Hosea a mandate. Listen to this mandate. He says, Hosea, find a wife. And he revealed to him ahead of time that she would be an unfaithful wife. As a matter of fact, the, the King James Version describes her as a prostitute. So in essence, God says to Hosea, go marry a prostitute. Although she would bear many children, some of these offspring would be fathered by others. So he not only says, Hosea, go and marry a prostitute, but then raise the children that she will bear to other men as your own. In obedience to God, Hosea married Gomer. His relationship with her, her adultery, and their children became living prophetic examples of Israel. The reality is that Hosea was becoming a living sacrifice. See, in my opinion, Hosea, out of the other many prophets, was given a yoke not easily carried. He's to remain faithful and focused in the midst of the suffering appointed unto him. The scriptures are clear. Though we are delivered from sin and its power through faith in Jesus, there is an effect of sin that if ignored can hinder our growth in Jesus Christ. For this reason, he gives us gifts or leaders who assist us in our growth into him. See, the whole function of Hosea was to represent God. As such, it was imperative that Hosea manifest self-discipline. In the midst of this, it was important that Hosea suffer well. A yoke God put on him. And it was important that Hosea deny self. In Ephesians, Paul speaks of the gifts God gives us that we may develop these kind of characteristics. And he says this, to the church of Jesus Christ. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Oh, oh you got to hear this. 
because the popular message today is apply these principles so that you can build a strong family. Apply these principles so that you can obtain the pleasures of this world. Apply these principles so that you can make that Disneyland trip. And rarely do you find in this popular gospel that is being preached today, do you find apply these disciplines so that you can be contributors to the building of the kingdom of God. On the contrary, now that popular teaching is actually trying to tell you that ministry and family are two distinct dynamics that should be balanced. A lie from the pit of hell. God will share his glory with no one. You love God, you serve God, you give him everything your wife, your husband, your kids, your finances, and then you trust him to increase you as he promises. See, in the kingdom of God, order is important. Order is so important in the kingdom of God that God says only the Levitical priesthood can carry the ark. And once someone other than the Levitical priesthood carries the ark and puts it on a cart the way the world does, treats the things of God as common, that in doing good, someone tried to stop the ark from falling and he dropped dead. And David was so distraught that he said, take it away from me. And they took the Ark of the Covenant to the house of Obed-Edom. And about three months later, the report came back that the house of Obed-Edom is prospering. Why is the house of Obed-Edom prospering? Because he's a Levite. He was destined to take care of the Ark. And David gets upset and he goes to forget the mind of God again. And he's praying and he's arguing with God. Why? Why did Uzzah die? And God says, because you did not do it after the due order. See, God had given the nation of Israel a mandate as to how the ark was to be transported. It was not to be transported on a cart. It was supposed to be transported with poles. There were rings on the ark of the covenant that were created for that, and they were only to be carried on the shoulders of the Levitical priests. So, See, the problem with this kind of popular gospel is that it takes things out of order. And God is a God of order. God is not just a God of love. God is a God of order. I tell people that in the, in the sacred covenant of marriage, we witness the representation of God. Woman reflects the heart of God Man reflects the order of God. And the heart and the order of God brings forth a completion of how God is to be loved and honored, not treated as common. Anytime that people in the Bible treated the things of God as common, they were called profane. 
and judgment fell on them. Saul, the first king. Esau, the older brother of Jacob. Profane. See, part of the challenge with this popular gospel is we're making God into something we can digest. And so reverence is no longer necessary. Just apply the principles. Well, can I tell you something? Tony Robbins sold principles and became a millionaire. So now we're trying to be like him. Just teach Christian principles. No, you got to teach obedience. You got to teach surrender. You got to teach sacrifice. You got to teach denying self. Because we forget the fact that there's a sin nature still in operation within us that wants everything but what is of God. See, I, I know this is not popular preaching. This is not popular preaching, but, but God always has a remnant. Even in backslidden times, God always has a remnant. God always puts in the heart of some people the right way. We're not the only ones. God's got a remnant all over the place. But it's not the populist gospel today. It's not the popular thing to talk like I'm talking Beloved, Hosea had these three things. I want to go through them quickly because there's no way in the world you can do what he did without these dynamics present. And in the same manner, maybe God has not asked you to bear the burden that he has asked Hosea, but he has asked you to bear some burden. And he says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. In other words, he says, do it my way. The things that I put on you, I'll make it possible because God will not give you more than you can bear. You just have to put your trust in him, believe in him, and do it his way, even when it hurts. Oh, glory to God. Let's talk for a moment about self-discipline as we bring this to a close. Without it, no one finishes well. Yet self-discipline is rarely achieved by one's own effort. Though it's called self-discipline, it is rarely achieved by one's own efforts. As recruits must first submit themselves to the rigors, trainings, and repetitions of a drill instructor, learning to be mindful of minute details, so are those who submit themselves to the development of self-discipline. And what ends up happening with these recruits who submit themselves to their drill instructors is you soon witness a self-accountability, which is the hallmark of a good soldier. One thing you find about good soldiers is they don't make excuses. A good soldier will tell you, yep, I dropped the ball on that. Yep, that was my responsibility. Yep, I could have done better. Because a good soldier understands the context of teamwork. He understands that the little piece he does 
is part of something much bigger. If you belong to a church, there's a part that you're doing that is essential. You may see it as insignificant. I say to you, do it well. Do it with excellence. Because the little piece you carry is essential to the big presentation. Don't let the devil tell you you're insignificant. Don't let the devil tell you that what you contribute doesn't make a difference. Don't let the devil tell you. Can I tell you something? That without you here today, this service would be totally different. Different in the, in the fact that your presence in, in itself is a testimony of divine will. So your absence reflects a void. If there are people that are not here that should have been here, God is grieving over that because it was God's will for them to be here. What that means is they are significant. This popular gospel, because it doesn't want to put responsibility or guilt on anybody, says it don't matter if you come or if you don't come. We're going to celebrate anyway. Oh, yes, that's true. We're going to celebrate. But it does matter if you come or don't come. God may have a word for you. You may have a word for somebody. Your presence here is important. It's vital. It's significant. Don't let the devil rob you of your significance. Suffering well. Only in the context of the community do we become aware of the significance of others. Here we learn a greater purpose, not simply our own interests, but the interests of others. Suffering well is about legacy. We endure so that others may witness the fruit of our faith. It is here where we give life and expressions to those things we claim to believe. Suffering well doesn't mean that you like the suffering. Suffering well simply means that you put your faith in something out of your, outside of your pain. And you endure it. You know, when Peter tells his captors, Please don't grant me the privilege of being crucified in the same manner Jesus was crucified. He wasn't saying, crucify me, crucify me. He understood he was going to be crucified. He just wanted to suffer well by saying, I'm not worthy of dying in the same manner that my Lord and Savior did. He, he wasn't happy. He was being crucified. He didn't look forward to being crucified. Can I tell you something? Jesus wasn't happy. He was crucified. Jesus was not looking forward to being crucified. We can find that in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there is another way, nevertheless, Lord, 
not my will, but your will be done. And the word of God says that he, that he despised the shame, but he endured the cross. Listen to this. For the, for the joy that was before him. The joy before him was you and I. You and I, our salvation was the joy before him. Not the cross. Not the pain. Not the suffering. You and I were the joy. Suffering well requires that others matter. If not just as important as me, even more than me. I got to be firm. I'm setting an example for my sons and my daughters. I got to sacrifice because this is going to benefit my sons and my daughters. We apply that to our families, but we, we lose the practicality of that in the context of the family of faith. In other words, I can understand working hard so that I can give more to my children. But I don't see it the same when it comes with to working in the church. But yes, because when your sons and daughters see you serving in the church, when your sons and daughters see you sacrificing for the good of the body, when your sons and daughters see you participating and contributing, they say, oh, this is important. And if this is important to mom and dad, then, then I recognize that this is something that should be important in my life when I reach a certain age. So now it's not just about me. So self-discipline, it's learned in the context of giving yourself or making yourself accountable. In the military, as a, a drill instructor, in church, it's the leadership. <clears throat> Suffering well. We do that in the context of community. Why? Because people are watching. My brother is facing death. And he's pretty much disappearing in front of us, physi physiologically speaking. And, 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 and my son calls my wife and, well, he actually called me. He was all broken up, you know, and my uncle. And, and I was very sober and very, and spoke to him. I had already seen my brother. I had already processed some of the grief that you go through when you witness this kind of, uh, stuff. And so he calls his mother and he, he can't understand why, why dad was so, he, he was like, doesn't dad care? And my wife said to him, she said, son, it's not that your dad doesn't care, but your dad bears the burden of being strong for everyone else. So that everyone else can fall apart, somebody has to remain in control. Somebody has to hold it together to encourage those that can't. 
See, when we talk about suffering well, we talk about thinking of others, not just yourself. Not giving yourself permission that which you have a right to, but for the sake of others. See, in this popular gospel, suffering well is not important because it really isn't about the community. It's about you. In church, we learn. In a church that preaches the gospel, we learn to esteem others above ourselves. We learn the value of sacrifice. We learn the value of self-discipline. We learn the value of suffering well. And the last is self-denial. This is what the scriptures mean when they speak of dying well or dying to self. So the question is, what does the Bible mean by dying well? Here's a, an explanation of, by a theologian. It says, the concept of dying to self is found throughout the New Testament. It expresses the true essence of the Christian life in which we take up our cross and follow Christ. Dying to self is part of being born again. The old self dies and the new self comes to life. Now only, not only are Christians born again when we come to salvation, but we also continue dying to self as part of the process of sanctification. As such, dying to self is both a one-time event and a lifelong process. Jesus spoke repeatedly to his disciples about taking up their cross an instrument of death and following him. He made it clear that if any should follow him, they must deny themselves, which means giving up their lives spiritually, symbolically, and even physically if necessary. This was a prerequisite for being a follower of Christ who proclaimed that dying, proclaimed that trying to save our earthly lives would result in our losing our lives in the kingdom. But those who would give up their lives for his sake would find eternal life. Beloved, a better life for believers is experiencing within the context of everyday learning to live for him, that we may reveal the glory of God through us. As we decrease, he increases. This popular gospel today speaks to senses of a sensual culture, but we must go deeper than to flesh to the core of man, his spirit. Why is this message so appropriate for today? Because you don't reach 25 years without self-discipline, without suffering well, and without self-denial. Why do I say that? Because I'm about getting ready to celebrate 28 years. And my wife and I know what it is to be the lead of a community of faith. Whether 10, 15, 50, 100, 200, 300, 500, it doesn't matter. Without self-discipline, without suffering well, 
and without self-denial, you become an abuser of the sheep. Because you vent on them, you control them, you manipulate them. And instead of helping people to grow, you use people to help you accomplish goals. This ministry haven't achieved what it's achieved because your leaders have operated in that manner. So they have set the example. And so the question today is each and every one of you. Are you applying the self-disciplines that you have been taught? Are you suffering well? Or do you start pointing fingers the minute you do? Do you start blaming others? Do you want to get up and run like so many do? Are you dying to self? Is it possible that Jesus wants to show off through your life? And the only way he can show off through your life is to take you into a desert. And cause you to suffer. But in that suffering, something is birthed. In that pain, something is made manifest. And then heaven comes and invades your life and strengthens you and takes you to the next level. It says that after Jesus had been tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, it says angels came and ministered to him, strengthened him, cleaned himself up, stepped out of the desert into humanity and changed the world. That same spirit is in you. That same spirit is in you. That means the same potential is in you. Let us bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this ministry. We thank you for these ministers. We thank you, Father God, that they have not counted a robbery to lay their lives down. That they have sacrificed willingly and willfully. Father God, and that now, 25 years, you have rewarded them and are rewarding them. No, let no one hate or despise the fruit that you now harvest. For where were those naysayers in the days of plowing the ground? Where were those naysayers in the days of remaining faithful through drought and floods and pestilences? But now in the season of harvest, they want to criticize. Let not the devil influence you by those naysayers and those critics. Rejoice in the season. Rejoice 
in the harvest. Rejoice in the abundance. Rejoice in the increase. And be willing to serve others that they may walk into their blessedness. With nobody looking around, I want to ask simply, if you're here today and you have not given your life to Jesus, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, but today this message touched your heart. All I'm going to ask you to do is lift your hand and put it right back down so I can see it. That to me is a sign of surrender. You want to surrender your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, I see this hand. I see this hand. Is there any? Yes, give the Lord a praise offering for that. Is there anyone else here today? Is there anyone else here today that this message has touched you in a way that that it has caused you to feel an inclination to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Is there anyone else? We have one honest heart. Just lift your hand so I can see it. I'll acknowledge it and you can put it right back down. We have one honest heart. Is there anyone? Yes, I see this hand. Yes, glory to God. 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 Is there anyone else? I take my time because your your life matters to me. Your life matters to me. And I don't want you to leave here thinking that Jesus is an alternative. Jesus is not an alternative. Jesus is the only way. The life you have you're half-stepping without Jesus. You may not even know it. You go, no, no, I'm not half-stepping. I go full board. But you'll only travel half the distance. You can expand all the energy or expend all the energy you want. Without Jesus, you'll always fall short. Anyone here? Who else? We have two honest hearts. Who else? Lift your hand and put it right back down, and I'll recognize that hand. And that surrender to Christ. Is there anyone else? Glory to God. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Amen. Amen. Moving forward, you're here today. You can look at me. I want you to look at me. You're here today, and you've been going through your own stuff. You can relate to Hosea, not in the same manner. Those are unique situations. Let me tell you something. I've prayed for a lot in the Bible. I've never prayed for that Hosea anointing. I thank God for a woman that has been faithful to me. I know God didn't give it to me because I could not handle it. I would have a prison ministry. (laughs) And he never will give you more than you can handle, right? Amen. So he gave me a faithful wife. But like Hosea, I've had to die in other areas. And maybe that's where you're at right now. You're in a place in your life of having to die to self and you're wrestling with letting go and surrendering. At the sign of faith, I want to invite you to this altar where we can do a prayer and where we can believe for ministry from above to come down and touch you in such a way that will propel you into the breakthrough that you're looking for. So I would like those people who raised their hand for salvation and anyone who would want a prayer over their lives off of what I've preached to come forward at this time. Ushers, can you encourage the ones who raised their hand to come forth, not to be embarrassed? And now these altars are open. Come where we can pray together and get a breakthrough this morning so that you can get launched into your breakthrough and what God wants to do in your life. Glory to God. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. The same spirit that gave Hosea 
day of the capacity to remain faithful and true is in you.